Hello and welcome to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Brian McDonough, and with me today is our guest, Dr. Eric Edmonds. Dr. Edmonds is an associate professor at UCSD. He is a sports medicine expert, and that's really what we want to talk about today, sports medicine, and in particular, the overhead athlete. We have so many people playing sports where they obviously are in that overhead movement and they can run into all sorts of injuries. I'd like to talk about injuries and protection and things we can tell our patients. So first of all, Dr. Edmonds, thanks for joining the program. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. My first question, I know you worked with children's, children's hospital, you do a lot of research. When we talk about overhead injuries in general, what types of injuries are we talking about? Yeah, the majority that we tend to see involve the shoulder or the elbow, and occasionally you get some wrist injuries and some neck injuries that are associated with it, but uh, I think those are kind of the two joints we're mostly talking about. And when we talk about shoulder injuries, what particular ones, rotator cuff, those sorts of things? Yeah, actually, the interesting thing is when we're looking at kids, uh, we don't see a lot of rotator cuff uh, pathology. Uh, What we tend to see is more of the labral pathology and instability. Uh, even when it's an overhead athlete, uh, it may not be dislocations, but it'll end up being tears to either the superior labrum or the posterior labrum in particular. I guarantee that, in fact, I, I would not just guarantee, I'd, I'd be willing to bet my career on it, that if the physicians listening who deal with kids probably are talking about overuse injuries with young athletes. How much does overuse, you know, these teams where they play sports like baseball year-round, contribute to these type of injuries and the frustrations associated with them? Yeah, it's uh, probably actually a really high amount, uh, to be honest with you. I think I spent, you know, maybe 60, 70% of my clinic trying to discuss that with parents, uh, even when they have an acute injury, which everyone's kind of like hanging their hat on that this is the source of the pathology. Uh, we know that, you know, there's things that kind of led up to that moment in time. and It's not just, uh, you know, having an injury right in that moment. Obviously, that does happen. We do have kids that fall, break an arm, something along those lines. But for a lot of these injuries, it's kind of wear and tear over time. And eventually, these young bodies just kind of give, and then that's where they have their problem. Interested. I've talked to a lot of different experts about it. But your thoughts on uh, maybe the old days, I know, where I grew up, where we just kind of went season to season and played versus, I do believe, the the pressure and the desire to have uh, children competing for that college scholarship or whatever, uh, even making a high school team, the coaches usually know if they're playing tournament ball or those sorts of things. How much um, would you rather see or would you rather think it doesn't matter to have the switching sports between seasons? Yeah, actually, I, I love the idea of switching sports between seasons and only playing one sport per season because sometimes we run into that issue as well where we get some multi-sport athletes doing them at the same time and you know, definitely down here in San Diego, we have a issue, you know, with baseball and softball being played year-round. But we also have, you know, water polo is one of our big shoulder um, kind of issues, and then tennis and volleyball and kind of all the racket sports. So we really do have a good population that's year-round doing the same thing over and over again. And it really just, you know, it's driving home like these issues uh, centered at that one kind of location and this kind of burnout. I always tell people about like Jim Thorpe and yeah, he played multiple sports and he became a great athlete because of that, but it wasn't because he was doing it all at the same time. And it's not because he sat there and played football, you know, year round, he broke it up and he kind of mixed it up and kind of like this whole uh, idea that we're getting out of these new kind of exercise regimes uh, that we're seeing as adults where 
um, you buy the video and they kind of do all this, you know, uh, mixing it up where it's constantly changing the workout routine. And so you're not allowing the muscles to kind of figure out what you're doing. And I think there's a lot to be said in terms of actually developing uh, these kids into true athletes. Um, and yeah, we all see that kind of issue where the parents and the coaches and everybody really drives and say, look, you can't go play a different sport. You got to stick with it. Otherwise you're not going to keep up with the Joneses. But I have to say that, you know, we don't see that. We see kids that actually do multiple sports, do much better, uh, as athletes in general. And they tend to be the ones that get the scholarships. And I just kind of on an interesting side note, if you actually look at the, kind of scholarships that kids are able to get for college and the amount that most tuitions are, I think most of us know that they're kind of high, you know, that 20 to $40,000 range. And the average uh, amount of money that's given as a scholarship is right around $8,000. So most scholarships that kids get uh, do not cover the entirety of a year's tuition. And they're usually on a year-to-year basis. So even if they got injured during college, they still, you know, won't have that scholarship to hang on to. So kind of redirecting and kind of telling parents that, you know, they shouldn't really be pushing towards college scholarships. They should be pushing towards having, you know, a good, active, healthy lifestyle and then, you know, good grades. You know, you're preaching to the choir here, two children in college, one recently graduated, and we look back on it and it, I mean, kids, my children, they were into sports, they were into academics, you know, typically, but the money that came, if there was money, was more on the academic side and rewarding academic performance than the sports performance. And uh, you are correct. I mean, if you're a, obviously if you're a top-tier football player, top-tier basketball player, you may be getting the full scholarship. But if you're a baseball player, or a lacrosse player, a lot of those sports, you're just getting a little bit of money. And the parents do tend to tell the other parents about the scholarships their children received, and they love to talk about it. But everybody just thinks that's a free ride. And not that that should motivate parents or for us as physicians to tell our patients not to overdo it. But really, if you get that out of the way, maybe there would be more of an opportunity. Because I think a lot of kids, if you left, left to their own devices, they're going to play multiple things. They're going to play whatever is the most fun. I, they're not going to play the same thing over and over again. I, I you know, use the baseball for an example. I don't know. I, I loved baseball when I was growing up, but I wouldn't play four nine-inning games on a hot summer day back-to-back-to-back. It just isn't something a kid would do. (laughs) Yeah, that's absolutely right. And I I think that those are big changes that we've seen over the years. Do you think there's a way we as physicians um, and as healthcare providers can change the tone or the things we're not doing with our patients or even as advocates in the public to try to tell parents and and to tell kids about it? Because it is becoming a big business. That's absolutely right. And I think... You know, the hard part from an orthopedic surgeon standpoint is that I'm catching these families in my clinic after an injury has already occurred. So it's kind of, you know, the the cat's already out of the bag, so to speak. And uh, I think, you know, perhaps some of the listeners, you know, being primary care physicians have a very good opportunity to work with people before, you know, the event happens uh, to really kind of lay it out there. And, and part of that is just, you know, knowing the families and and kind of getting a sense for them. And even if they're coming in for a cold or a flu or some other kind of non-related issue, kind of maybe touching on, you know, how's athletics kind of going? Are you guys doing sports? Are they staying active? You know, trying to encourage one, you know, doing exercise, which I think is, you know, a very important thing to the young child because nowadays we also see that too with the obesity epidemic and things like that. Uh, and I think if you're able to engage with the families and kind of make it lay out there that, hey, these should be the focus of it, more of health, 
not so much for college scholarships or these different things. And then just kind of let the desk kind of settle out with the kids because all the kids are going to keep pushing. They're always going to keep driving forward whether or not we think there's these greater ambitions for them. Uh, and I think that's maybe one thing that we can do. Uh, but otherwise, you know, if we ever get opportunities to go speak at schools or, you know, different uh, sporting events, we always try to share this information with people. And it's amazing how many people are amazed to hear it for the first time, even though I feel like I hear it all the time uh, outside of that venue. You're listening to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. If you're just tuning in, our guest today is Dr. Eric Edmonds, University of California, San Diego. We're talking about overhead injuries, but we've kind of digressed a little bit and talked about uh, the fact that you know, young athletes and the pressures on them for scholarships and those things. But getting back to the overhead injuries, you talked about labrum, labral injuries as a problem. How would someone uh, present with a labral tear or some sort of injury like that? What would they be coming to the office and what would they be complaining about? Yeah, I think for a lot of these athletes, uh, they will come in with just a sense that, you know, their shoulder's not working the way it's supposed to be working. And and it's not something new usually. It's not something where they say, oh, hey, just yesterday, like it started hurting. If you really kind of dig in, you'll find that there's been some kind of preceding like discomfort that's been there and they've been trying to ignore, thinking that they just kind of can kind of work through it. And then all of a sudden it can become, you know, a sharp, uh, not uh, able to ignore it kind of problem uh, where it then gets brought up to the parent's attention. And I think that's kind of our most kind of common theme that we see for these kids with the overuse injury. But then ultimately, it kind of comes down to ferreting out, you know, what's the problem. And I have to say, using x-rays as a way of ruling out any kind of stress fracture or broken bone or something along those lines, that kind of gets that big category off the table, which we do see happen in these young kids. But then it comes down to your physical exam. Um, you know, one of the hard things with the shoulder is it's so like multifaceted in terms of the position that it can be in, the directions that it can move. It's not like the knee where it's kind of straightforward. You can say, well, now I could test for an ACL. Now I could test for a PCL. And, you know, it's a uh, pretty clear cut for the shoulder. A lot of these exams, you know, from a sensitivity and specificity standpoint, uh, really aren't like so great, but it takes that combination of the exam to really narrow it down and say, okay, I think the problem is going to be at the superior labrum or I think the problem is going to be a rotator cuff tendonitis or uh, whatever you might be finding. Now, I know you've written American Family Physician, other articles and things, but where would you suggest people go to learn about the exam? I mean, the actual, you know, the basic exam for a primary care physician to evaluate the shoulder, or do you have some suggestions about that evaluation? Yeah, that's a yeah, excellent question. And I think that is kind of an interesting because all of us have little nuances, I think, that we do with the exam. So you could take an exam, which is otherwise fairly well described in literature on how you're supposed to do it and probably check with, you know, multiple different physicians and get multiple different, you know, nuances on how they do it. And I think it's because all of us know that the exam's not perfect. So we're, we kind of tweak it in some way that we think might be you know, improving our outcomes in terms of the results. Uh, overall, you know, nowadays with multimedia being what it is, uh, there's a lot of actual, like, videos showing the exams. Uh, I would just be kind of cautious as you watch them that, you know, it, the kind of specifics of how they're being done may not be perfect uh, in relation to how it was originally described, but it at least gets you in a ballpark. And um, I think that, you know, the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons has a lot of videos online um, that's at least going to be 
a bit more on the professional take, but I do know there's other, you know, video structures like ViewMedi and such that may be, um, you know, more available than getting into the AOS uh, videos. You know, you bring up something which is a really good point. I know a lot of my residents, it's using the Internet more and more, YouTube videos and things. They weren't there before, but you really can learn about tests. I don't care whether you're talking about aerosol inhalers or you're talking about a test for vertigo or for you can really see people do things and 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 mo- for the most part i think most um are doing it responsibly and trying to do a good That's job right. you know you, you, it's like anything else you have to be careful what sites you go to but a lot of them are just great ways to teach or maybe they've been teaching their own uh residents or interns and then just make a video and then just put it up there to help others so they are great ways of doing it um we only have a couple minutes left in the program I wanted to ask you a few things are there areas about the shoulder and overhead injuries that i haven't even brought up that you'd like to bring up uh, i think the biggest thing to remind people is that especially for littler kids with open growth plates that we tend to do see that kind of uh, youth leaguer's shoulder, if you want to call it that, or youth leaguer's elbow, uh, where the findings are just that the physis is being widened. Uh, so it's not really a fracture per se. It's not this kind of more traumatic pathology of the labrum, but instead it's really kind of separating out the growth plate. And that's something that's pretty serious for these kids, where if they stop growing, particularly in a proximal humerus, that's about 1.2 centimeters per year that they're going to not grow in uh, arm length. And so that creates issues, not so much functionally for actually playing sports, but more you know, wearing you know, shirts that have to be tailored in later life. And, and that is the last thing I wanted to ask you about. These injuries that occur when people are young, when do they start to um, come back? For instance, someone, let's say, has a, a labral tear. Uh, they decide they're not going to continue, maybe let's baseball, they're not going to continue playing, and they're going to go through physical therapy, and they stretch out, and they do those things. They don't have surgery, and they certainly don't challenge the arm like they may have playing for their school team or whatever pain goes away. Are these things which will come back again when they're having a catch with their child? Do they disappear? What's I guess it varies on injuries, but what do you, what do you normally see? Yeah, so what I would say is that for most of like the labral pathology that we see, uh, I would say that uh, we know that as an adult, you can have that particular type of pathology and not have any pain from it. Uh, but as you mentioned, that's because they're not really challenging it. And, but I think, you know, playing catch with your kid it's still pretty low um, kind of energy and, and probably a reasonable thing. However, we do have some people that with time, you know, uh, do kind of keep having symptoms and issues and it just kind of keeps wearing on them. And some people can work through that and some people can't work through that. And so uh, it really comes down to the individual person. But I think a majority of them, if they kind of give up on the high level activity, they can do very well. Now, if there's a dislocation that was associated with it, just throw this out there. We do know that there's a higher risk of arthritis in the shoulder because of that, so they definitely have a higher risk of getting the total uh, uh, humerus arthroplasties. But um, other than that, I think people do pretty well in the long term. Well, Dr. Eric Emmons, I'm afraid we've run out of time. I want to thank you for joining and sharing your insights on primary care today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. This is Dr. Brian McDonough. If you missed any or part of this discussion, please visit reachmd.com slash today. You can download the podcast and learn more on the series. Thank you very much for listening.